You're listening to the Elephant in the Room Property Podcast, where the big things that never get talked about actually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia, and author of a new book, Auction Ready, How to Buy Property Even Though You're Scared Shitless. And I'm Chris Bates, financial planner and mortgage broker, and together we're going to uncover who's really making the decisions when you buy a property. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website, as well as download our free full or forecaster report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Before we get started, everything we talk about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent. They will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances. Now let's get cracking. Well, this is going to be an episode with a difference. I'm putting myself on the firing line. I'm volunteering myself up as a property dumbo. (laughs) And the reason I'm doing this is because I've now been buying and selling and renovating property uh, for, oh God, coming up to 25 years. So I've got a few, says Chris, I've got a a few runs on the board. Now, I wasn't always in the property industry. So I've been in the property industry for around 20 years. So for five of those years, I was completely uh, unaware. And even for the first probably five years in the property game, I was unaware of a lot of stuff. And and to be honest, I'm continuing to learn stuff. Mm. So one of the things when I look back and reflect on the, the properties that I've bought and renovated and sold and, and kept and so on over the years is that had I had advice or had I known what some of the pitfalls were, had I even considered that you can make mistakes, what could I have done differently? What would I have done differently? And where could I have got information? Now, to be quite frank, I'm not sure I always could have done things differently uh, in terms of getting information or getting mm. advice. And things are changing. And uh, this thing, things, I should say, and things are changing, obviously, that you've got people like me out there that can actually guide people now to buying property. Um, we really didn't exist back then. So I wanted to share some of my own learnings and particularly because Chris is planning to settle on his first house <laughs> with his wife and baby soon to be born. Mm. And you've got a an inspection of that property that you've already bought right tonight, haven't you? Yeah, we do. Um, it's one of those, uh, you know, getting access just before you settle and just to do a few measurements and see exactly what we need to fix and whether we paint it and, you know, check the MBN and a few other things that I'm keen to just do. Mm. But um, because of the speed we had to act on this purchase, um, from the moment we actually made the offer to the moment we actually first saw it was under 24 hours. And so um, we did sleep on it. But in saying (laughs) that, though, it was a funny sleep on it because we had to make a decision that day because if we didn't decide on this property, we would have went to auction on another property. Right. Uh, And so it all, and we had to make a decision that fast because the only way to actually get this property was at a reasonable price was to try to make an offer and get something before it hit the market. So it was a fast decision and I haven't actually seen the house since. So you feel, how many times did you see it before you bought it? 
twice. Right, within 24 hours. Within 24, well, probably almost within 12 hours. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, one was 6, 6 p.m. and then 9 a.m. Um, so We're not unpacking my Dumbo yet, we're unpacking yours. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, okay, and this happens, you know, when the market's hot mm. and you've been looking for a long time and, and you've been... Um, you know, had you missed out on anything or had you? Uh, t- technically no, but we had kind of got close and decided a few times. Against, so emotionally yeah. we had, mm. we'd missed out because we had thought that we'd found the right property and then yep. we, like for example, one of those properties, there was a building and pest came back mm-hmm. really poor. That was a big red flag. We yep. decided against that one. I know we did discuss that in one of our yeah. episodes, didn't we? Another mm. one was... Um, we fell in love with some features of the property, but then the practicality of a small living area, we were overlooking that. And then that, once we came to that realisation, um, yeah, another one was like on a, a busier road that we were probably self-justifying that it would be okay. Um, but then I, in my heart, I knew that was not a good idea. Mm. And so when that realisation, so there was... So you had a niggle. Yeah. these, mm. And, you know, that was part of the process is that we kept going for the niggle. But my only worry with this one is that, because it was such a fast decision, I didn't give it time to let those niggles play out. Uh, so and now I've had a five or six weeks um, <laughs> without seeing it. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm positive. I just, I'm just i just interested to see so how I feel today. Do you have niggles or did you have niggles that you didn't have time to explore and you just decided to squash them down? Or are you, do you have niggles now that you didn't have time to have niggles? <laughs> it's the niggles because I didn't have time to niggle. So I know that I'm... <laughs> As a business and what I'm like personally, um, I'm not someone who wants to just think about, I actually like think much better when I delay decisions. So if I feel like I'm making a decision too fast, I usually just walk away. Mm. I give it time. I let it just sit there and over days I'll make a decision on something and, um, you know, sometimes weeks. And so that's what I'm like just, and so when I have to make a fast decision like that, I don't feel like I've made that in the right mood, but you can't do that sometimes with property. You had to make a quick decision. Yeah, you do. And so how, I mean, how did you come to the point in that short period of time, given that it's different to the way you usually like to make decisions, which we've had so many episodes now in interviewing various people where we we know that taking time to make decisions is better, but isn't always possible given market conditions. And you're under pressure too, because obviously there's a baby on the way and that nesting, is it a bell that goes off in your brain? It just gets louder and louder and louder. And so that's the elephant just quietly. (laughs) Yeah. So So, pregnancy was definitely Mm. um, big because I mean, that's, um, you're kind of working that back within the seasons of property and you're thinking, okay, so she's due in early March um, or late Feb. So, you know, we don't really want to moving in at early Feb. So that means we've got to really be buying, you know, at the start of December. And so then you're going, well, you know, there's only four or five weeks or six mm. weeks of stock um, in a market that's already low stock. Yep. Uh, and then looking back on the last couple of years and seeing any a couple of properties that we actually wanted, um, we knew we wanted something that was quite scarce. So, yeah, 100%, that was all playing into it. We might have to do a little postscript at the end of this episode to see how you did feel when you went through this inspection tonight. Yeah, I think it would be interesting. And we also how I feel in 12 months and how I feel in five years. Mm. Um, and that's the thing. It's, um, you know, it's it's we don't know these things. And I think it's uh, what made me this, make a decision so fast, why I was comfortable, two things. One, it was an alternative to help us stopping the buying the wrong property. Um, which wasn't common sense. Um, so you want to buy this one to stop you buying the wrong one? Well, it was, I think that was 
like I was conscious of it at the time. I realised. What, the one that you were going to go to auction on you felt was yeah, wrong? Okay. 100% right. it was so wrong. this was stopping you. This was less wrong. Yes. <laughs> so this was like uh, in my brain I could feel it. It was, it was actually a light bulb and a flashing light to say you're actually doing the wrong thing here. Wow. You're actually like, like you're lucky you've missed it, dodged a bullet. Now maybe that I had to really reconcile with that at the time and whether to go, look, actually – do I, am I just jumping from one pool to another pool sort of thing, mm. you know? But it was a it was an eye-opening experience to feel that emotion because that was that was good. Mm. Um, but then the other thing was that we've just have been looking for six months and and so I think that, that that... called decision fatigue? Yeah, no, but potentially that, but also um, we still went, if you look back at what we got versus what we wanted from the start, it was still very much aligned. So we were not jumping around and one minute swapping and swapping and swapping. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's what made us feel comfortable is that this is the best thing we've seen and it's still. Yeah, so you're using the benefit of all of that research that you've been doing, all that legwork you've been doing, all those properties you've been seeing that give you the context to be able to measure this property in the context of what else is out there in the marketplace. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And so, and then also, and that's good because I think over that journey, we saw lots of properties we were interested in and we were glad we missed out on. I don't feel like that with this one. So that's a good thing. And what are you worried about tonight? Uh, I think it's the worry about is the kids' situation and and how does life evolve and the problems with this house potentially with with kids. But I guess you know people would say just go for the flat block, just go for the you know etc. Go put the kids. But I guess what we love in a house is things, other things around the. Oh, you did you buy a tree house? It's it is on levels, <laughs> but it's got a big. Um, <laughs> It's got a big open level, so it's not like you have to keep going up and down stairs. You would spend 80% of your time on one massive level. So, that, What about indoor-outdoor flow? Um, yeah, you've got an outdoor space. You've got really nice balconies and things like that, so you have got lots of areas too. But, and can kids you know, climb over the sides and kill themselves? Uh, reasonably safe, yeah. Because <laughs> it's interesting you say that. Some of the houses we looked at. Um, were mm. completely unsafe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and they you, use it ship's wire on on railings, for instance, and kids can climb them like ladders. Well, that's right, mm. and they're not actually legal, are they? Mm, um, I don't know. Yeah, I think the, the the wires on the balconies aren't legal, and one of the properties that those another property had balconies were completely unsafe and run down, and mm. um, so yeah, it's 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 one of those risks you need to think about. Right. So let's let's so that potentially could be a dumbo for you. We'll see. We're gonna watch this space. <laughs> it is a watch this space. And I think that's part of the learning, right? You um yeah, you just don't know sometimes. And so even if you think you know and you've done enough research and mm. et cetera. Um, if you're buying a very low risk asset and I think that's in a inner ring of the capital city on a good street, a north facing block, in a surrounded by houses, these are things that, you know. Most of the time, all investors will, clients will buy. and um, But this is a bit of a different, we've gone for more of a, you know, a different well, style property. It doesn't mean they won't perform, it's just that it's a different asset. Well, yeah, and we've had many conversations about this too because he's bought in the Northern Beaches and, I, and I'd never recommend buying up there unless you rent there first and yes. he hasn't done that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing too, I think that what this points out and this is what this whole podcast is about is that our elephants are really strong. Mm. You know, our elephants uh, and our elephant, just to remind you guys out there and girls, uh, is the metaphor for our subconscious mind. And our subconscious mind 
is very, very uh, strong in terms of directing our decision making. So we, part of the reason for this podcast is so that we can shine the spotlight on when the elephant might be in control, but mm. knowledge isn't enough. Sometimes you can be fully aware that your elephant is in control and the elephant still controls. In fact, a lot of the behavioural science um you know, if you read any of that stuff, you read experiments and in fact, go back to episode one and Simon Russell talks about some of these experiments where people have been knowingly um, manipulated in these experiments around our, our behavioural biases. And even when you're told you've been manipulated, even when you're told that the information that you've been given is is not correct, it's a study and we're, we're testing how people react, they still react accordingly. Mm. So, so we do this. So awareness is not necessarily enough, but... So, yeah, Chris's concerns or niggles or worries around that and, and I guess what the future will will, um, will hold for him and, mm. and his family in this home are interesting because that sort of got me thinking about my, my property journey and I think I've added up to something like eight properties that I've owned, maybe more, yep. maybe less, I don't know. Um, let's, so when was the first one? Well, the first one uh, was when I was 27 mm-hmm. and I bought... A, what were we doing for work then? Well, I was in recruitment. Right. Yeah, so I earned good money. Um, Recruiting what sort of industry? I was sales and marketing uh, in the building industry, actually. Oh, building right, okay. industrial, yeah, yeah. And so, were you uh, single or coupled at the time? I was, what was I? <laughs> I was in between. <laughs> I was single but not, and while, yes, I was single actually and then I coupled and right. subsequently, well, after buying, after buying, yeah. So you were thinking, um, I wasn't potent- thinking at all. Right. Do you know, when I think about it, I was. It was an ex partner of mine said, well, "You could buy a property." I went, "Oh, probably could." Went along to the bank. And where were you living at this stage? I was living. Where was I living? I can't even remember. I got so long ago. Um, actually, I was living with some friends. I was flatting with some friends. Yeah. In what area? I was in Lower North Shore then. Lower so North Shore. And this so place was in Erskineville, Newtown border, my apartment that I bought. But you weren't living there, so what made you go I there? I did move there. Well, yeah, good question. Yeah, I, I'm telling you, this is the full-on Dumbo. So you could afford, this is this past boyfriend of mine had said to me, you could afford to buy a unit. And I've got a friend, is a developer, and they've got this building actually on Cleveland Street. And um, go oh, and have a look. Oh, fabulous. And <laughs> I hadn't looked at any property at this point ever other yeah. than to rent, ever. So I go and look at this apartment. Now, thank God I had the fourth, you know, the foresight to look at this and went, it's horrible. You know, yes. so there was one left in the building. You know, it was, you know, affordable. But when about this all asked about, I looked at this apartment, I thought, that's horrible. I could never live there anyway. And so I didn't even look any further in that area. But I did like the inner city. I'd already always said I'd live in a shoebox in the inner city rather than a house in the burbs, and mm. I've lived to to um, honour that statement. Mm. <laughs> and yep. I bought myself a shoebox. So I started the process of looking, and I went to the bank, and I honestly can't remember what conversation I had with the bank, um, but it was like I don't even think I asked how much I could borrow. Like I don't even think – and I started looking just for what I assumed I could afford – Mm. And 
I the God, there was one property, uh, a big apartment in the Goldsboro Mort building. Thank God I didn't buy that one too. It it was on the side of the freeway. It didn't have one opening window because it was so noisy. Mm. It was nice though and it had a city view and it had lovely high ceilings and lots of original features, but it was just, you know, I actually looked at that quite seriously and tried to talk myself into it, you know. So was anyone helping you on this journey or were you no, just going? No, this ex-boyfriend had made this suggestion and then left me to it. Nobody was helping me. Where do you turn? My parents were useless at this stuff, you know. So what was, what was like... Motivating you at this point in time, though, if you can remember back, I know this is a couple of years ago. <laughs> a few um, years back, was it because um, you wanted to own your own place? Is it you think it's a good investment? You need to make money. Like, no, do you remember it was like, just because I could. Because it was you because could. I could. The idea was placed in my head that you could, and I went, "Oh, that's a good idea. Right. Much better than renting." You know, didn't really so, like yes, renting. So that's it. So it's that potential belief that. Um, red money is dead money. Yeah. You need to own a home if yeah. you're successful. This is what you need to do. Mm. Just go buy something yeah. so you can say that you're a homeowner or an investor yeah. or you're a property owner. Yeah. Okay. And so it didn't really matter. In your mind, it didn't really matter what you owned. It's just mattered that you owned something. Yeah. Although it did matter what because if you think about it, that first apartment on Cleveland Street, I didn't like it. The one the one that was next to the freeway, I often drive past that on the flyover. Right. You can look straight in the, the windows. I mean, I thought seriously because I really liked the, the floorboards and the high ceilings. I mean, you know, you, you do focus on – sometimes you focus on – a minutia, not even the big picture. Mm. You know, I had a car, I had a cabriolet, this this fancy little car that I used to drive around in. And even then, if I bought in that building, I would have had to lease a space in the car park next door. You know, right. I was not being practical in the slightest. It's interesting. So, so you know, because I've seen this, you know, um, it is a challenge that, uh, you know, younger people, potentially singles have, is that um, they start earning good money. They're potentially lived at home or if they haven't lived at home, they've earned really good money and they've been able to save or mm. live frugally and then they're built or they've potentially got a little bit of a gift from their parents, like maybe 30, 50 grand um, and they've got, you know, they're still starting out and then they get told by their parents and their family and their colleagues buy something and then you're right, then mm. they go out and buy something and it's just so early on, they just don't really know what they're doing they're just, yeah. and going out and buying something. And I the state no government's giving them exemptions and et cetera like that. So, but you were looking for something that you just wanted to live in, but you weren't like that bothered about like the investment at all. It was Hadn't just even th thought about it as yeah. an investment. Not it didn't even occur to me that this is an investment. It was just like it's better to own than rent. That was pretty much it. And when I went, so I, I don't even know how I ended up looking at this building. It was actually technically off the plan, but it was it was finished. It was almost completely finished. So I could physically walk inside the apartment that I subsequently bought. And I ended up buying a studio. Now, I think, I'm pretty confident that I could have afforded a one-bedroom in this complex. Mm. I bought a studio with no parking, so I fudged parking for the, the year that I lived there. Um, Is that because you felt it was cheap or you just didn't even look was, at the one better? I did look at the one better, oh, okay. but I think the one better was like 180000 and what I bought was 129. Right. Okay, so you thought it was a good deal. It came down to affordability. Well, mm. and, and when I say affordability, it was perceived affordability and was that risk. It was like, oh, I feel a lot more comfortable with a mortgage of 100 and whatever, uh, low hundreds rather than a high hundreds mortgage. That's, oh, that's really what point. it came down to. Yeah, I mean, that's something that we do talk about um, mm. quite commonly with clients because I'll get clients who are, let's, you know, figure out the max we can borrow and we really want to get mm. a good place and, you know, we'll push to the limit. 
You know, yeah. sometimes it's reining them back and yeah. saying, look, this is what it will mean from a mortgage repayment. This is what your life's going to, and start to wind that back and go, maybe you should, or what's your future decisions? And But sometimes people are like, I knew I wanted to spend more than a million dollars. Like I've got some of them at the moment. And it's actually saying, look, if you had to spend 1.1 or 1.2 and you got a much better asset and you sold that one day and you got a much better return, would you buy it? And then they go, well, yeah. And so maybe we need to have a bit more of a mm. flexible budget. And and so neither or is probably great. Yeah. Um, so that's interesting. So you just went for what was perceived felt lower risk. Safe. Yeah, it felt safe. And yes. yet it was 36 square metres. Now, it was a well-designed 36 square metre studio, but it literally... Well, it has to be. A friend of mine, a friend, there's plenty of horrible, badly designed ones. <laughs> a friend of mine came to, to see my new apartment after I'd moved in. <laughs> he said, show me around. And I said, stand in the corner and swivel your head. Because <laughs> that's it. And look, it had a, a lovely little covered, you know, terrace, little veranda, and it would look, it was cleverly designed, had full kitchen and all that sort of thing. And look, it was a great, I lived there for a year, right? And in that time, I then met a fellow that I ended up marrying. That's just an interesting point in itself. So bought it with the idea, I'm going to live here for X number of years. Didn't even think of that. Mm. Didn't even occur to me to think, well, where do I want to be? None of it. (laughs) <laughs> I don't yeah. even know what I was thinking. I wasn't smart enough to earn good money, but not smart enough to think, well, what am I going to do with this property? So it is a, um, I mean, and this is a challenge. Like, I, you know, I was single for five years before I met Melanie and, um, you know, you just don't know what's going to happen, mm. right? And you don't know when your life's going to change and things like that. So, um, you know, when I am helping singles, I do find it, you know, really tough sometimes because, um, you know, I'm very focused on the long term, what's the right thing for their future, et cetera. And you've got, look, I just want to enter the market. I want to buy mm. something. And, you know, the problem is I've seen so many times where someone, a single has bought and they've met someone and then they've owned a property that doesn't suit them long term. They end up having to sell it and yeah. they're back to square one. So, Well, the problem is as well, you don't want to buy with a partner in mind that you don't have or, yes. you, or you don't want to not buy because you're waiting to find, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Right. Um, you know, so that that's really complicated. And, in fact, yep. I met a, a young woman who listens to the podcast, so hello if you're listening, um, the other day and we were having that exact discussion, yep. you know, what these options are for you. Uh, what, what I should have done in retrospect, um, was it wasn't until I'd actually bought place and, you know, I enjoyed living there. It was a great lifestyle and I'd met some great neighbours, et cetera, et cetera. And I had a friend who had a little house that she'd bought in Erskineville some years earlier around the, around the corner and we used to hang out a lot together. And when I actually pulled up and did a little bit of a helicopter view, rather than being so sort of laser focused as, well, it sounded like I wasn't focused, but I was only focused at looking really at one bedrooms. Yeah. And then I saw this studio and went, oh, that's more affordable. And I think that's pretty much why I mm. jumped at it because, oh, it's cheaper. Great. Um, but if I pulled out just a little bit for not much more, I could have bought uh, like a semi in Marrickville. Yes. Not far away. In fact, very close because where my place was the bottom end of Newtown and, and Marrickville was only a, you know. Stone's throw. A few streets away, really, um, or more. I could have actually bought a little house. Now, I never inspected any of them, so I couldn't yes. vouch for the, the condition. But certainly given that I was, you know, had a good earning capacity and my, my yep. runway was long and, and, you know, today I would have a very different conversation with somebody in my position than – I had with myself at the time. I just didn't even know what the possibilities were. Well, that's it. And that's the thing. It's not about you shouldn't do it. You shouldn't have bought that one better or that studio, but at least had that eyes wide open view Mm. that this is an alternative option. I could have bought, say, a house in Marrickville that, 
It's say you did meet mm. someone a year later, then if, instead of having a studio where you're going to kill each other to something that potentially you could stay in and renovate in the future. And that's one of the discussions. But it's sometimes not possible. One income, mm. it's really hard to borrow from a bank on one income. Yeah. So you can't, and the price, the difference between an apartment and a house in areas that people want to live mm. is so big, it wasn't always that way. Um, that, but it's you know, also an example of I paid a premium because I bought brand new. Mm. And so when you look at the differential between, well, actually, you've got a much better asset for not a lot more money because of that premium. So but, maybe a cheap studio back then was 80 grand and you paid 120 or maybe it's 100. Yeah. Yeah, or something like that. Okay. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't investigate studios, so I didn't even have any relativity. I, I judged the price on that studio against the one betters. And yes. there's another example of where you, you go wrong because – what I really need to do is judge it against other studios. Yes. Um, you know, I still may have, who knows, made that decision. The other thing that changed in the five years that I owned that property, so I, mean, I lived in it for a year. Yeah. I never lived in it with my ex. Um, we... So you rented it out, became an investment property? Yeah, became an investment property. And, and it was positive cash flow after, oh, I think, two years. Like it was a, you know, you say a good investment in terms of yield, right? So I imagine um, though when you set your loan up, I don't know what your deposit was, but did you just get like an 80% loan or something? Or you know what? I borrowed 95%. Right, okay. Mm. But I obviously paid it down. Did you have to pay is, lender's mortgage insurance? Can't remember. It was a long time ago. A long time ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know Back my stamp in the 70s. G- my stamp duty was like $3,000 or something. I remember oh. thinking, what horror, robbery. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, I mean, this is a mistake sometimes. So if... Mm. Um, you know, in that situation, so even if you had a, you know, 20, 30, 40% deposit, which sometimes, you know, people have, um, you know, you might even borrow it 88% or 90% and pay lenders mortgage insurance. Mm-hmm. So when you do in the future, you allow, you can afford to keep that as an investment property from a loan structuring point of view. Um, and so just that small mistake about potentially putting all your money into it, five years later, when you turn it to an investment property, you might have had a choice to have to sell it. Well, rather I, than keep it. I had a choice. I had to sell it, but not because of affordability, not because of um, my borrowing capacity, but because it was less than 50 square metres. And the banks had changed their policy in that intervening time. Uh, and it was under, like, because of the LVR required for that size apartment, the bank wouldn't lend me the money because when I ultimately got married and we bought a house, it affected my borrowing capacity for the house. Whereas if, if it was the same value property but was more than 50 square metres, they would have allowed me to keep it. Yeah, unfortunately um, we're dealing with a very similar situation this week, which is very uh, – but it's not the size, it's the company title. Right, yeah. Um, and it's the same, it's the exact same situation, mm-hmm. you know. Like there's only a few banks that will do company title. Yep. There's only a few banks that will do 80% on company title. Um, some will do 70. And so the demand for that asset, if they ever sell it, it means everyone, every buyer's got to have at least a 20% deposit. Yep. But the banks that have that, sometimes their policy isn't great. Like they are not great with bonuses. They're not great with, you know. Right. Um, and so if you're like self-employed, so, you know, those those banks that do offer 80%, sometimes the policy means that some buyers can't use those banks. And so, you know, it's just where you when you're, Buyers can't get the money, it means you haven't got demand for the property. So when you sold that, who could buy it? An investor. With a big deposit. Well, or with equity in another property. Obviously. Oh, equity, yeah. 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 So yes, it sold to an investor, but it did it actually did look it made enough money in that five years time that that basically was the deposit for my house. It did its job, but it could have been a better 
uh, investment and it could have been something I didn't need to sell and also it could have been something bigger in the first place I didn't need to actually you know, buy a house. I could have already owned a house potentially. Yeah, I mean that did its job is a uh, you got to be a big caveat, you know, mm. um, you know, rabbit ears around all that because a job. <laughs> yeah, um, the opportunity cost is something yeah. that um, we always want to factor into it because what could we have done? Bought the house? How did that perform? Mm. This is when these decisions really um, the the different paths that you go on when you start taking into consideration opportunity costs. um. And this is the thing. I mean, and this is quite often I think about these sort of things because, you know, I look at myself now and my situation and I've done very well in property. Mm. Um, But I, and I haven't done exact numbers on this. It's really hard to do a full relativity to compare opportunity costs, but it's potentially a million dollars in it for me after 20 odd years. You know, oh, well, and, and that's, that's probably a small amount, really, if you consider. Well, because I've made good decisions subsequently mm. on some properties, but but you know, there's. Let, let me tell you about the second one, right? Well, the yeah, before we go there, I think that the biggest opportunity cost, because opportunity cost is relative to time, and so this is the where people think about opportunity cost. Um, it's the first ones that are the most. They've got the biggest opportunity cost. So if you get the first ones right, mm. that allows more deposit to allow you to do more investing. To, exactly. And so it's, it's why I love helping first-home buyers um, and the, the early in their journey because if we I know if we get that first decision mm. right and we we make sure we think everything through, the next decisions will play out. Exactly and right. For the rest of their life, it's, you know, as long as they're getting good advice mm. down the line, um, you know, they've made it. And that's where I sometimes where I, you know, used to work with a lot of clients in the you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, a lot of it around retirement. Mm. Like it's kind of done. Like I can't mm. go back and rewind those decisions 20, 30 years ago. Um, I'm now on damage limitation. Yeah. How do we make the best of what we've got? Uh, and it's just very, it's, it's quite not as fun. <laughs> this is actually one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode because, you know, yeah, this is, you know, I, I, we always talk about property being a long game and the benefits on compounding. Yeah. You know, and this is this is it. You know, because these they were we're talking this first property cost me one hundred twenty nine thousand mm. dollars, but now we're talking twenty odd years later, and and the chain of events that this sort of set up, um, and not just this property, and not yeah. just the impact of this individual property, but you know, I think fundamentally there's been some errors of judgment and some missed opportunities along the way that, that as I said, I think probably could have added up to a million dollars difference now. So the second one I bought was actually with my ex-husband and um, we bought a house and it was in Leichhardt and mm. it happened to be, I did it again, right, it was brand new, just finished, right? There was four in a row, Torrens title, there were two, two pairs of semis. Mm. And, look, it did okay. It did okay. It wasn't the highest build quality or anything like that and it did fine. And, and look, I own that and, to be honest, six Three-bed or a two-bed? It's a two and a study. So a two. So two and a study. Um, but it could be big enough for a nursery. Like it was a separate mm. room, the study. So had that flexibility. It doesn't and suit the family market per se. No, but, you you know, you somebody pregnant with their first baby or even with the second one on the way would buy it. It's that sort of property. It had the, right. the open plan downstairs and a, a nice level garden. Was it a similar price to three-bed terraces or three-bed cottages in that? Like no, her. it was a similar price to two bedroom semis. So if I'd gone for something that was that wasn't new, right. um, something similar would have been a two better. It would have been, you know, maybe needed a bit of work as well. So in a way, I actually the price. What I paid for that was actually not bad, and I didn't do too badly in mm. terms of growth. Where I missed out on that one. Um, 
an interesting, this is, this is my my own personal history as well. Of course, my husband and I broke up six months after buying it. <laughs> but, you know, by this time I was in real estate and, mm. and I was earning good money again and I bought him out and, and it was my deposit that had bought the place anyway. So, you know, uh, I was, this is a, a big lesson for women taking responsibility for your own finances as well. A man is not a financial plan and in this particular case, um, you know, I was able to, to uh, yeah, to, to fund that because of the decisions I made. So they, they weren't all bad decisions, you know. Mm. I just think that they could have been better. So I kept that and then I subsequently met. So what was just while we're there because mm. I think it's interesting. So was it a, um, was it a good street of Leica? It was an okay street. I actually, here's another one. I bought that because I knew the light rail was going to be going in. Right. And this was on the far western side, very close to where one of the stations was planned to be. It's and been a game changer, that light rail. Yeah, That's and a fun, it was built, but after I sold it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so when I talk about people. But was it built on time? On, no, you know, God, no, it was talked about. So it was, yeah. it was um, you know, green, what they call greenfields. Yeah. So, and this is the thing too because so many people talk about buying where infrastructure is going to go in, right? So this is a, mm. this is a good location. It's in a city, et cetera, mm. et cetera. Um, well, and I it thought, doesn't happen or it gets delayed. Or it doesn't happen in, yeah, or in your time frame. I I was in real estate. I'd seen what had happened in Lilyfield, seen mm. what had happened to prices and the demand of the suburb when the light rail went in. I went, oh, this is good. I buy there because I didn't buy there purely because of that. It was one of the decision-making factors. Um but I was very proud of that. I thought, oh, mm. this is great. I justified it by saying this is really good because that's going to go in there. And, yes, it did go in, as I said, some, I think, 10 years after, or a long yep. time after I sold anyway. Mm. Um, so I bought that property and it was fine and I lived there and, and had more space and, and I could have actually repartnered in that place and I could have probably had a child, mm. maybe two, and all that sort of stuff. And so it Was had, it a south-facing or a north-facing? Yeah, good point. North-facing at the front. South-facing garden. Mm. Right. And was that a bit dark? Um, look, the way it was designed, it wasn't dark. There were nice big windows everywhere mm. and there was plenty of light everywhere. Um, the garden did annoy me that it got a bit dank in winter yes. and there was no sun uh, in winter really, definitely no sun in the mornings because mm. I was also on the western side. So did there's you, another did example. Did you think about the plains as well? This was actually not and still isn't really under the main flight path. It's right. on the far western side of the suburb and a lot of people think like that is all flight noise affected, but it isn't. Yeah. Um, so, but no, that was a could, plus. But you probably didn't really think that through at the I time. I did maybe. actually because we'd right. been renting in Annandale on right. the western side of Annandale and that gets right. hammered with, yes. with flight noise. So, I, yes, I did think about it. But uh, flight paths sometimes change, right? Well, they, they change, change quite often. They change with wind. <laughs> yes. With the seasons and wind prevailing winds. Yeah. But but there are there's a landing path, um, mm. you know, and then there's a takeoff path and this is under the takeoff path. Yeah, and they can always change in terms of uh, new routes and, you know, the flight paths. The mm. only other thing is... Uh, you know, would you have bought, if you bought the semi, the older semi, you said you could have added, you could potentially turn that to a three bed, mm. et cetera. You mm. know, would you, would you wish you went back and bought a two bed semi in an older? Well, interestingly enough, uh, about how long after I bought that? About two years after I bought that property, I bought an investment property, which was a semi, which was a two bedroom semi, which I did subsequently do a full renovation and turned it into a three bedroom, two bathroom semi. Was what suburb semi. was that in? <laughs> <laughs> like art. All right. <laughs> so you did the, um, it's an investment property. It's so what you call home bias. Home bias. 
So the elephant in the room is 100% for you. The reason that Chris and I do this podcast is because we passionately believe that property buyers can do it better. We really want to help all of you understand all the risks, but also the ways in which you can avoid your elephant making the decisions. But what we would love for you to do is just to share this episode and share other episodes with people around you that are going through the property process. Give us a review on iTunes. A five-star, please, would be very appreciated because this is about making sure that we all benefit from the wonderful information that our guests have been sharing with us. Well, you're working in that market though, where as a real estate agent. Look, I was and, and, and I was looking, I tell you, there's some mistakes here because I was, I had it in my brain that you have to buy in December. You have to buy in December. And look, I like buying December to, to I still like buying in December, but I had this sort of time limit, this self-imposed time limit, because I knew that the spring market usually depressed prices a little bit. There was better buying opportunities and that all came true. That all came to pass. But that did mean that I jumped at a property in the same suburb that I already had a house in, which was, wasn't the wisest thing to do. I mean, it was the other end of the suburb. So it was actually more flight noise affected, actually. It was on the Annandale border. Um, it's kind of, it's a tricky one, this one. So, um, mm. If you live in a very good suburb with great growth prospects and without doubt it is, you know, a grade A suburb long-term and it's going to keep those, you know, foundations mm. long-term and you also live in that suburb, then you could say home bias, yes, it's not a great idea, but mm. is it really? Well, potentially not because you actually know all the intricacies yeah. of that suburb. I did look but, elsewhere. It wasn't like that's the only place I looked. Or, yeah. and, and like a lot of people that fall for home bias, they, they, they literally wander around the corner from their house, see a full sale, and go, oh, wouldn't that be a good idea to invest around the corner from home? Yeah. It wasn't that. It just no. happened to be that that was the best property that came up in that yeah. time. And I think the home bias thing is a massive thing for most property investors across the whole country. Um, if you live in Newcastle, you buy properties in Newcastle. You live in Brisbane, you buy properties in Brisbane mm. um, and within the same suburb of Brisbane that you live in and, um, you know, you don't. You only basically invest on what you know and unfortunately you don't know much. So uh, it is a big thing to always be conscious of because, you know, even most people fall for it, you know, and it expands your visions a little bit. Yeah. So that was a two-bed semi. It was a north-facing backyard. Yeah, it was. Yes, okay. north-facing so backyard. Good street. No, yes, a very good street. It was actually a really good street, um, yeah. very well regarded, but it was next to the worst house in that good street. And I made assumptions and I was selling back then, and this is one of the things I talk about, selling agents are not as critical as buying agents. And I certainly was not as critical back then as I am now. And I looked at the house next door. I had this, in the house I lived in, on the other end of the suburb, I had these wonderful Portuguese neighbours. The next thing she's put on the market and somebody else bought the property. And I thought, so brilliant. It was good news for you. Great news. But in the meantime, I've actually got my plans approved with putting some posts in yeah. to actually provide that support. So um, my new neighbours, they made contact with me and said, oh, we'd like to renovate too. Can we have a bit of a chat? So I sat down with them. And they just had no understanding of really what was involved or anything and it just became ridiculous and I went, you know, I'm just going to go ahead. So I, I did that renovation without getting an easement on that wall and you know what, you barely notice it to be honest, it wasn't mm. a big deal. So so I did. I renovated that house in 2010 but so if we can rewind a little bit, I ended up selling the other house that I was living in because I subsequently met someone new 
But he had his own home mm. and it was nicer than mine, so we moved into it. Mm. And I rented mine out for a while, had the six-year rule, you know. Yep. Um, and at some point we decided to have Molly and um, then we decided to buy a bigger house and all that was sort of going on the side. And I made the decision when Molly was a baby to reduce my um, outgoings and just reduce my reliance on my own income and going back to work straight away and all that sort of thing. And so I decided to sell my principal place of residence. Mm. And that was fine. I got a good price for it, all good. Where I didn't get good advice was um, from my accountant. Mm. And the accountant did say, what are you going to do with that money? And I did say, put her off the mortgage of the other house. And he said, don't do that. And I didn't listen to him. So... So you said it wasn't good advice. No, it wasn't good advice because it's an investment property. Why would I pay down the mortgage? I, but I did he tell said, you to do that? No, he told me not to do it and I couldn't understand. He didn't go the next step further and explain why or what the alternatives were. Oh. You know. Um, so he said he gave good advice. He just didn't give good advice in a way that made you not take action. Yeah, he didn't explain why he was telling me that. He said, don't do that. And I went, like, but why? Why, <laughs> why wouldn't you do that? It was uh, only when I lodged my next tax return. Well, I told you not to do it. You didn't tell me why. You didn't explain to me what the implications mm. were. Um, also, obviously, I didn't have a very good broker at the time because I didn't. it wasn't structured. None of those questions were asked around, you know, well, what will you do, et cetera, et cetera, or what are your plans? And none of those questions were ever asked. It was just... It's interesting you say that. So we get this... Um, I do get it quite a bit where uh, it makes common sense. There's like a belief and a myth out there that... Um, you know, paying off your debt's a good mm. thing. You know, paying off your mortgages is a good thing. Yeah. Um, even just uh, last week we had a, a really good discussion with a client and uh, actually it was with a buyer's agent and the buyer's agent um, and I were kind of battling it out on this discussion and he was arguing that you should go pay your eye on investment properties and I was like, well, no, you shouldn't. You should go interest only. Um, and, uh, you know, and just couldn't really, I guess, figure out why that was possibly great advice. Um, Why was a buyer's agent giving advice on that anyway? No, it was just more of a discussion um, around what he thought the best way to structure it was. Um, But it was interesting though. It was like, so he's there, you know, helping people every day to do that, but Mm. still just didn't really get loan structuring Mm. and how important. And so, you know, when I do get clients who have, you know, paid off properties that were always going to be investment properties, there's yeah. no I've got way. The same thing. Um, yeah. You know, they just became cash rich, they've, you know, and they've got cash and we'll just pay off our debts. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's kind of, you can't go back, you know, and so. Well, that's the thing. It doesn't, but what I actually did do, mm. I used that money instead to renovate the house. The equity? Well, the money that I paid off the loan, yeah. You redrew I then it. redrew it and, and paid for the um, renovation. So with that, that money on that property, on that property, yeah. So that's that's kind of half solved your problem. But yeah, what is. you could have done um, is potentially got a construction loan. I don't know at that point in time. And these are the things. But this is the thing: I didn't ever have the discussion with anybody because I didn't realise there were options, and mm. I didn't, you know, exactly that. It's like it would have been good to explore that and then make a decision with your eyes wide open, right? Yeah, and so instead of having a debt on it of two hundred thousand, you could have debt on it nine hundred thousand, and still yeah. had your seven hundred grand in an offset account. Yeah. And, you know, et cetera. So, yeah. Oh, and so. Which would have, because I subsequently sold that property to pay, to fund the renovation of my home that I'm doing now. Mm. And if I had structured it differently, I may never have needed to do that. Yeah. And that's the, and then if we're going to talk about opportunity cost, it's, 
like you've sold that in 2019, let's say. 18. Uh, 18, yeah. Bottom um, of the market. <laughs> yeah, but if you did, if there was a way for you to keep that property and still, still for, uh, achieve what you wanted to achieve with the renovation and, you know, get, although, and with low interest rates, that would have potentially been more doable because you would have had less pressure on yeah. having a home debt. Um, and so with the renovation cost, it's what the opportunity cost really is what would you have sold that property in 20, 30 years' I time? I can tell you exactly what I would have sold it for a year later. Yeah, but maybe not in 20 years. Well, no, no, but let's talk about a year later even because this is quite telling, right? I sold is that. This harsh? Is, this, is this painful to say? Yeah, it's a, well, a little bit, but no, yes, but no, yes, but no, but no, but yes, but. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, I made a decision to sell at that time and I knew that the market was crap. But I also knew that I wanted to renovate this house to live in. I'm sick and tired of not being in the house I want to be in, right? So I made a decision around that mm. and I'm very clear on that. I put it on the market knowing the market was crap. Mm. Um, I sold it for 1.55. I figured that a year earlier I probably would have got 1.7 for it and mm. that's, yeah, it's pretty much what I reckon um, would have happened. So 1.55, that money um, has allowed me to, I'm only two months away from moving into my yep. new home and I'm not going anywhere for a long mm. time and I'm very, very happy this is go- this is a beautiful home, right? Mm. But there's a massive housewarming party for all elephant listeners. There's going to be a massive housewarming party, <laughs> elephant listeners, yes, yes. Um, so this, this, is, this is about life decisions as well mm. and so that, that's clear and I knew and I made that decision, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, though, that the person who bought it, the story I was told, subsequently repartnered and bought another home and decided to create a Brady Bunch and all move into this other home and then puts the property on the market a year later. Oh. I mean, that's a Dumbo story, except for the fact she lucked it in terms of her timing. So she paid 155 and I, uh, the price she sold was either 174 or 179 Okay, so it was 100, 200 grand. Yeah, bounce yeah. back. So the thing was if I'd waited... I would be a year behind on where I'm at now, and I'm excited. And potentially the build cost would have been higher as well. Um, but or potentially, if conversely, build cost might have gone down. Well, they're not at the moment. Not, not yet. Demand not is yet. demand is going up at the moment. I think I would have Still. paid more. But but be that as it may, I can justify that to the cows come home. Mm. The difference being, if I had structured it differently way back when, I didn't have all that equity mm. tied up in that property, if I'd had an offset account, uh, offset mm. account, if I'd had access to money without having to sell it, mm. I could have been had more flexibility on my timing of the sale. Yeah. But because I committed myself to doing this renovation, in order to, to get the builder on, on and in order to line all those things up, I had to have the cash. And so then I had to sell it. And so it, it all of that stuff, you wind right back, you know, to 2002 when I bought it even, the way in which I structured that loan, the way in which yeah. in 2007 when I sold the other house and, and then and then in 2010 when I did the renovation, the, all those decisions way back then fed into 2018 and what my options were not, what options mm. I did not have available to me in terms of what I'm doing now. And that's yeah. really the Dumbo part of this, you know, because we all learn from these mistakes. Yeah. I would say yes. I mean, loan structuring, obviously, that's what I do and I love and I, you know, do think about this, you know, all the time with clients trying to structure their loans today. So in the future, 
maximise the chances of them. If it's a quality asset, and it should be buying a quality mm. asset, they maximise the chance of being able to keep it and then facilitate their next changes in life. So if it's buy a home, well, buy a home that A, you can grow into. If it's an investment property, buy something that you structure your loan so if you go and buy a house in a few years' time, you can still keep it. Um, I reckon there's probably another one. <laughs> I reckon when, um, you know, if there was a frustration on where you were living and you wanted to live in this house renovated, I would argue at that point in time, you potentially could have bit the bullet and gone and rented something that was very, very nice for two to three years. Um, you mean instead of renovating Instead now. of renovating. Oh, and but I've been, you know, because this is like my sad relationship story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a nightmare. Um so I, you know, I was in a in a blended family, um, fast yes. forward, and we had been renting a big house that all of us could live in yes. for the last only four years since I sold my house in Balmain. Yeah. Um, but you could have done that for another two years, I didn't want you? to anymore. Yeah, I've had enough. I yes. want to be in my home now. And this is, this is that, you know, yes, this is a, a full awareness of elephant. Mm. Yes, if I was purely making financial decisions, no, I could make different decisions around that. But this is the point. I need a home. I mm. want a home. I want my own place. You know, I bought the house that I'm that I'm rebuilding. I'm not renovating. Mm. I'm rebuilding it. I bought that house in uh, 2014. Mm. So, you know, it, it's been doing its thing for a while. But so, yes, the, I could have, but it got to the point where you have to make a decision for your home. Yes, I, I think so. And I think it's just, I mean, you've thought about it, but you know, uh, from a pure financial point of view, and mm. if you, um, if you potentially went out and looked at other homes, and I rent, did, and rented uh, to rent. No, but no. that's because no, no, no. I did actually. That's not true. Yes, I did look at other homes to rent. I mm. did. the The cost, um, because I'm no longer in a blended family, right? Mm. So the cost to rent something that I really wanted to live in with my daughter. It was a lot, actually a lot, and I couldn't really see. I actually did go through that exercise. Yeah, it's a lot, mm. but, um, you know, it's, it's like when clients are upgrading from one property to another property and, um, you know, just recently it's the fear of renting or the fear of having to pay a lot of rent or the I don't want to do that. Then motivates – no, no, not saying yeah, you haven't yeah. done it, but it motivates them to buy something – that potentially is not the right property because but I already they, own this property. Yeah. So that's a bit different. And I really went through this exercise. Of, I, I know what you're saying. The, the, the desire to avoid renting often drives people to buy the wrong property. Yes. Absolutely 100%. And I encourage people to say there are more things, there are worse things in renting. Yes. And buying the wrong property is one of them, definitely. For me personally, it really got to the point where I've had enough of being in limbo. I'm a Taurian as well. Mm. I love having the earth under my feet, mm. and and for me, it's a it's a it's an important thing to be settled. And I really am at that point where I just want to get back and being settled. Um, I mean, well, yeah, personally, we're exactly the same point. We could have we could have <laughs> gone up there and rented up there, which is mm. as an example for a mm. year. Uh, which is you know, lots of people said that. I would say that to clients. Mm. Um, but the reality is we do want to get our own house. We do want to, you know, have a yeah. family there, etc. And so, you know, <laughs> great advice. Go live up there for a year. Mm. But for us, it's like we're committed. We want that. We've thought about it enough. We're going to do it. Yep. Knowing of the risks, knowing what good advice is, switching off and just going for what we think. And it's that pull of home ownership. Mm. And, um, you know, and I think that's the thing that really drives a lot of the market anyway is 
you know, the houses that have got that real owner-occupier feel, well, you know, no matter what happens in the world over the next few years, there's still going to be that real Somebody strong desire to, to live in it. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, is there any other kind of dumbos down the line now? The building sounds like it's all gone well, which seems like you haven't made any, made any big mistakes. No, I'm very actually very happy with the way that's been going. And, and look, you know, I've renovated. I haven't talked about all of the properties that I've owned and some, some I still own, some I've sold. And um, the elephant even though I'm very experienced in buying and selling property, both being a sales agent and a buyer's agent, when I'm doing it for myself, and I've spoken about this in previous episodes, you know, that that, that pull of the elephant is very, very strong. And at times when I've asked my colleagues, my team, for to give me advice, I think I've made better decisions than those times when I thought I didn't need the advice. Yeah. And that's me who knows my shit. Right. Yep. So, so if I can do that, if I can make mistakes, then I hate to give it to your listeners. It doesn't matter how smart you mm. are, you can too. Um, yeah. And, 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 but I've made some, you know, I've made some great decisions around mm. property. I mean, certainly uh, my house in Balmain was a, I mean, no, that was obviously not just me. It was my partner and I. Um, it was a great house and what mm. we did, the renovation we did was fantastic. I, you know, it still breaks my heart a little bit leaving it. And in a way that's what I'm somewhat recreating at Newtown. Um, Alexandria. It's that sounding board, isn't it, where you've, you're th- ruminating in your head, you're mm. bouncing it back, you know, left to right and you're not sure where you're going. You start to make yourself dizzy. Then you start yeah. to your partner mm. um, if you're in a relationship and they're doing the same thing. Yep. Then you're in the car driving property to property you're kind of like, you know, in your own little bubble um, and, you know, you're not really getting that third person in there to, you know, ask you that question, mm. open-ended question that stops you both to think and you have to answer someone direct. Um, you know, that's, you know, using a buyer's agent to buy this house, that's what he did so well, mm. you know. Will was kind of, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Have you And, you know, and it, it was, you know, multiple times where he found that little hole in our thought process um, and then went for it. And then we we had to talk about it. We go, yeah, actually, we need to think about that more. Or yeah, one, one of the uh, one of our clients actually said about. I did a bit of a survey of um, some years back of husbands who had had initially been reticent about using or engaging a buyer's agent mm. as to you know what their what their hurdles were and all that sort of stuff. And one of them definitely was. A lot of a lot of men sort of think, well, I should be able to nut this out. This is this is an admission of failure on my part if I if I need to go to get help. But whereas one one couple actually said to me, well, you're the threesome that's good for our marriage. Yeah, I <laughs> just thought, what a cool cool analogy. It sounds like you had a threesome that was good yeah, for your marriage. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely uh, you know guided our conversations and allowed us to come to a decision easier and. You know, mm. make a decision on where we're going, you know. Quickly, always, as you had to. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, I think there's so much value in that. And then also just, I mean, the independence around the actual offer and the negotiation. Mm. Um, and, yeah, that was a thing. And to be honest, I was my own worst nightmare looking at property. Mm. Um, you know, all the agents, you know, I want to potentially, you know, work with these agents. I want to be known in the area up there. Um, <laughs> I was kind of, you know, being nice. Oh, um, so you've got some sort of ulterior motive going on. Well, potentially, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's a small place up there. And, um, you so know, you want to be the mortgage broker of choice. Yes, exactly. It's uh, uh, up on that <laughs> Northern Beaches pocket. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, want that. But then that's, that's completely conflicting mm. to, 
how I need to be in negotiation with yeah. with purchasing. So, you know, fortunately, that was um, you know that's another reason why people just just that negotiation independence. I can honestly say for myself um, because you know I bought I bought another semi uh, 2012 Alexandria. Mm. The process of buying that was very different to the process of buying the one in in Leichhardt back in 2002. No, they were both investments. It was because I was a much better thinker around this stuff. And because it's investment, it is less fraught. Certainly selling that house in Leichhardt was, even though it was an investment, that was fraught because money is personal regardless of whether the property is an investment or not. Mm. It's very personal. And what it allows you to do is very personal. And obviously that was all tied in with this renovation. But purchasing an investment um, was interesting, just the two different. uh, And, you know, I bought it. Actually, it was in October 2012. Honestly, I could dine out on the timing of that. Mm. <laughs> you know, right at the beginning of this, this that boom. Um, but that sort of, you know, that was a little luck. I had been looking, but that mm. was sort of more luck than good management. It was really being opportunistic enough to recognise and uh, recognise the property. The, and this actually is a, a, a little story. I was looking at a property in the same street for a client, for an investor client. And that client was overseas at the time and didn't want to make a decision without having seen the property. So I went through it. And then when she said that, I I thought, well, maybe I'll look at it for myself. And I started doing our pricing uh, research. And and in in that process, I could see that another one up the road had been on the market uh, a year earlier and failed to sell. Mm. And it's what I call a nana's house. Like it was in fabulous, really well maintained, but very, very dated. Mm. So it was actually owned by an 80 year old, a couple in their 80s, and he was an interior decorator. Mm. So he had blue satin striped mm. wallpaper and blue shag pole carpet. It hadn't been touched mm. since the 60s. Obviously, um, it wasn't a very successful one. No, well, it might have been in the 60s, but he was, it was very camp, but he, yeah. was, he was married to a woman for many, many years. Um, anyway. I saw that that had been on the market a year earlier and I thought, oh, I like the look of that. I wonder if they'd still be interested in selling. And so I made inquiries to the the agent who had um, had it on the market a year earlier. She gave me all the background, told me what they'd... Um, wanted too much money. Well, they, yeah, they wanted too much money. They'd had an offer, $770,000, um, that, you know, that, and they had turned it down and they should have taken it. It was a good offer at the time, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and they they should have sold because they're really they're so frail and they need to be in a nursing home, et cetera, et cetera. So they'd be under a lot of pressure now. And she said, you know, I suspect they're coming back on the market because they've they've spoken to me, but I think they've signed with another agent, but I'll look out. And so she she found out, yes, they have signed up with another agent. She gave me the details of the other agent. This is good about having relationships with agents. She was, mm. you know, very generous. Um, I rang that other agent. I said, look, I've heard it's coming back on. You know, I'd be very keen to look through it. Um, I I bought it for seven seventy, Same offer that they had a year earlier. Oh, yeah. Uh, I bought it for, they regretted not selling it at that price. It The market had moved. It was worth more. Right. But because I did it very quickly and that was. Well, you gave them what they wanted. They, they didn't want to have the uh, the loss aversion that we couldn't sold it what we could have or we we said no to that offer last time let's mm. not say to it, no to it again so i spent around about 20 ripping out carpet polishing floorboards painting doing mm. a few bits and pieces to it and then you compare that to the one up the road so you know by that time you know cost plus reno cost me 800,000 the one up the road that i originally looked at sold for 810 i think so mm. i was you know 10 grand ahead actually it looked a bit better than one up the road by mm. then um 
So I was pretty happy with that. You know, mm. that was a great – and, look, I still have that property. Um, and down the track one day I will renovate that as well. I will turn it into something more. There's definite potential there. And I'm happy for that to sit there and doing what it does. And that's a success story mm. <laughs> of, of an investment property. I think the uh, – I do think it's when you're buying an investment versus buying a home, it's just the, obviously it's much more different from a mindset point of view. Um it's when you overlay home buying with investing, things get very murky very fast. Mm. Or trying and, to buy an investment that you'd live in. Yeah, and I think that's, um, you know, which you, you're never going to live in it. I think it's just been realistic. Or you're going to live in it for a couple of years, which is what happened in the first one. Mm. And are you really going to live in it long term? No. Um, and so, you know, I think that's one client I'm trying to help at the moment. Um you know, can it, you afford to hold it long term if you're not going to live in it long term? And I think that's the important question yeah, as well. Yeah, people isn't don't it? really understand the mm. the impact of borrowing capacity and what you'd have to be earning at that point in time to allow that to happen. Uh, and redoing that calculation mm. now. Um, I mean, a client just recently, uh, you know, got a one inv- got a, a townhouse, then really, you know, should have been thinking, we baby second child. I'm pretty sure going to want to buy a house upgrade, but um, just wasn't ready for that decision. So felt like they needed to be doing something um, and they went off and bought an investment property in Melbourne. Uh, and now, so they've got a townhouse they're in, they're outgrowing, got an investment property in Melbourne, but they would now want to buy a house in Sydney. Can't afford to upgrade. And they can't upgrade. Mm. The only way to upgrade now is to sell one property. Yeah. Um, they really just shouldn't have bought the investment property mm. in Melbourne. And we had that conversation and it was, you know, that's where his thinking was already. Um and it's just, you know, just that's where the thinking through the longer term upgrade. It's so important. Um, would have potentially stopped him buying the investment and potentially would have gotten to the Sydney market a year or two earlier, mm. which is a bit of a painful thing to think through. So <laughs> I'll let you know how my inspection goes today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Chris, so we're two weeks down the track. <laughs> Last time we spoke, you were about to go, you were nervous actually about going and having a look at the house that you bought, that you bought within 24 hours of first seeing, and you were worried about what it was going to look like when you went through to measure it up for various things. So here we go. Drum roll. Oh, so it was interesting. Um, so it was, didn't start very well. So I, we've been going up to the Northern Beaches, quite a few test runs, um, see how the commute goes. And... <laughs> uh, you know, it's always been pretty good sailing. Like it hasn't actually been. It's like what the time perception. of the day did you, do, you go? Well, there's most of the time I've been going at four four thirty five, um, which is the time I'll probably leave. And most of the time I've had quite a pretty smooth run. So that the perception versus reality, I thought it'd be much worse. Mm. But on this day, it was definitely because um, <laughs> I think a shocker one, day. <laughs> yeah, it's when you look at Google Maps. It's quite funny because. Um, you know, when you're trying to predict in the future how long travel time is, and it's usually quite accurate, but when it, like, does a trip to, say, you know, Northern Beaches or Newport or whatever, mm. it leaves a huge window. It could be anywhere from 50 minutes to an hour and 40 minutes. Wow. Like, that's how far – so Google just doesn't know because that's how, like, in, unpredictable the travel wow. can be. yeah. Anyway, so this was one of those days where <laughs> it was um, – What have we done? <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm just – I just hate being late, just generally. It's just something I, I get uncomfortable with. So when I could see the time, so I was calling the agent saying, sorry, this is all going wrong. They must be used to it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I, they, they kind of got there. And um, now when we walked up, it was funny because, I mean, hopefully the owner of the house isn't listening. But, um, you know, it's interesting because the pre-inspection, they've moved out, not only physically, right. 
but mentally. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so the house is a not in a great state. Yeah. Right? Like boxes. Um, it definitely does not look like it was presented. Yeah. There's tree leaves <laughs> everywhere, like boxes, like the storeroom. It's not looking great at all. All the lights are off. I thought that was quite funny um, <laughs> because, you know, when you rock up. Is it the, dark? Well, it's it was not dark, but it was darker because your lights were off. And so you so, didn't test that? You didn't turn the lights off? When you were no, in we it? did. And I was <laughs> expecting. I just thought it was funny because mm. it was just, I was just walking in and just noticing this the difference. warts and all. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so, you know, last time we went there, she got there early. She opened up all the windows, mm. the doors. And, and there's no boxes lying around and, and all the leaves have been sweeped up and... Now you're a bit reminded of a little bit of your ongoing maintenance. That's true, actually. Mm. Um, yeah, because I was actually thinking that when I was going, I bet I was looking through all the leaves. I was like, I could do this. Mm. And to the upstairs balcony was like covered in leaves. And I was like, there's only two weeks ago we saw it. So it's not too much has happened. Um, but no, it was um, it was good. I mean, we had a, uh, we were thinking about painting it before we moved in. Um, and fortunately the uh, real estate agent had a little painter there and um, little because he was a smaller guy and um, he uh, but he was uh, he was amazing and um, yeah he's got a whole obviously with a big ladder yeah <laughs> well I said to him how are you gonna do this and he says uh you know you're gonna use scaffolding he's like scaffolding no I said um, he goes oh, we know how to do it and I was like this ceiling's at six meters high I'm not sure if this is safe. But he goes, no, he's um he's uh, got four men to do it. So, but that's um I mean overall, like I think the painting was is is a big thing that we can do, and obviously the flooring and a few other things. But, uh, you know, did we walk away happy? And ha- yeah, exactly. I mean the the view and everything we wanted from the house is all there, and but does need a bit of love. So, so more than we expected, probably. Yeah, interesting. So you felt relief that you hadn't made a mistake. Yeah, is that fair? Yep. That's yeah, a, so that was a few. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was. It was like, yeah, we, we were happy with the house. I mean, it was a little bit darker than we expected. So that was like, I think, don't know if it was the day because you got the clouds and smoke. You know, it was mm. actually really smoky as well. So that was part of it. But you know, I was like, well, we could put a skylight here. We can put a skylight there, and a few things like that. So no, it was interesting. Yeah. Cool. So uh, that wraps up. I had to find out. Yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> and I think what we need to do is actually do it again in a year. Let's do that, living yeah. in it for a year. Let's yeah. see how you go. Yeah, because I'm trying to stay quite diplomatic with it and notice how I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and, you know, the, the, the buying journey because I think it's interesting to reflect on, you know, your emotions. Mm. I'm still checking domain, right? So ah, so you haven't got out of the habit. I haven't got out of that kind of post-decision dissonance mm. where you're Worrying. still checking. And I'm sure fear, my, of a, fear of a better option. Yeah, and every obviously every buyer does it. I mean, we've done it before in other properties, and I still do it on those. Like, you know, you, you're always kind of watching and, um, you know, tracking back in time because, you know, that's just what we do as mm. humans. So it's interesting. And um, I'm like, oh, would I buy that? And I'm thinking, well, maybe. I want to say no, but I'm like, if I didn't buy this, would I go for it? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, I would. So it's just interesting even watching that. Um, yeah. But fortunately the market is going up in that area. You can feel very confident yes. that you're in it, yes. not out of it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll pick up on this one in a year. In a year's time. <laughs> Please join us for our next episode when we interview Jimmy Thompson. 
Jimmy is the host and uh, writer and responsible for Flat Chat, which is a forum and a column and a podcast and, and a whole bunch of resources, I guess, for apartment owners, occupiers, that means tenants, and also people just generally involved in strata. For over 10 years, Jimmy's had a forum where he has been hearing loads and loads and loads of interesting stories from all the people involved in living in apartments, and he's going to share a lot with us. There's some stuff that we have not been aware of in the past, so we've learned a few things, and we know you're going to as well, so please join us. Don't forget we're on all the social channels. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. Or you can connect with us on theelephantintheroom.com.au. The links are all there for you. Please connect and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The Elephant in the Room property podcast is recorded at the Sydney Sound Brewery. This week's podcast was recorded by John Risk, editorial by Gordy Fletcher. Until next week, don't be a dumbo. Now remember, everything we talked about on this podcast is general in nature and should never be considered to be personal financial advice. If you're looking to get advice, please seek the help of a licensed financial advisor or buyer's agent who will tailor and document their advice to your personal circumstances with a statement of advice.